Welcome to the Mandalorian Podcast. We're the Lorehounds, your guides to a galaxy far, far away. I'm David. I'm John, and this is our coverage of the Disney Plus original series, The Mandalorian. In this episode, we'll be discussing our personal Star Wars backgrounds before getting into our in-depth scene-by-scene breakdown of Season 3, Episode 1, The Apostate. Be sure to stick around to the end of the podcast for programming notes about other great podcasts coming from us and our podcasting peers. One of our favorite things about podcasting is getting your feedback. We love to hear fan theories, pickups on details we might have missed, and to hear what folks think about the episodes and season overall. You can send us feedback two ways. Email us at starwarsatthelorehounds.com or leave a voicemail to be played on air at thelorehounds.com slash contact, and we'll get to those on the next episode. If you would like to talk Star Wars with us sooner, join us on our new Discord server, which you can join in the link in the show notes. A quick reminder about our Patreon. If you like what we're doing and you want to support us directly, check us out on patreon.com slash thelorehounds for just $3 a month. Wow. Look at that price. Good deal. Yeah. Uh, You get ad-free versions, early access, and more. And you know, John, we're one away from breaking 50. Wait, wait for the for the <laughs> bell to ring. Yes. Anyway, you can also get our ad-supported podcasts on our Firehose feed by searching for The Lorehounds on your podcast application of choice. Or if you head over to our website, thelorehounds.com, there's a nifty tool that they have in there. You can put in the uh, podcast uh, app that you use, and it'll generate the feed for you um, to fit natively into that app. Lastly, we'd like to ask that if you're enjoying the podcast, please... Take a moment, head on Apple Podcasts, and give us a rating, and if you have even more time, a review. It really helps us jump up in the rankings and compete with all the wonderful podcasts covering The Mandalorian, which is a lot, because this is a popular show, so yeah, <laughs> yeah if you have lot. time, thanks. All right, John, um, that's it for our intro stuff. Let's talk a little bit about our Star Wars backgrounds. How did you first enter the Star Wars universe? My first Star War was. I don't know. Uh, I, I think that I probably actually maybe saw the prequels first, but I might have seen the original trilogy first. I sort of had two sides of the coin here, which uh-huh. was that my dad was super into the original trilogy and not so much into the prequels, and my grandfather was very into the prequels. He would always put them Whoa. on. So I kind of got them both, that you know, my dad would put on the VHS of the, of the original trilogy, which I wish I had because it might have been pre-special edition, but I don't know. And uh, my grandpa would put on Anakin, and I saw nothing wrong with them because I was five years old. (laughs) But maybe that's why I have nostalgia for it. Exactly. Wow, it's almost like a battle for your soul. It's true. It's true. Just like Anakin. Hopefully I turn out better than that guy. (laughs) But anyway, I had fun with it, but it was really a back burner franchise for me. It was something that I would watch if it was on. I would watch a new movie if it came out, but I wasn't going to seek it out. I wasn't going to seek out books and comics and et cetera. And then Andor happened, and it went to my heart. Mm -hmm. And uh, I I don't know. I just started watching all the animated series. I've watched Clone Wars in full. I've watched Rebels in full. I've watched some of Clone Wars twice because it's so good. And um, yeah, no, here we are doing The Mandalorian, and I've caught up on all the live-action Star Wars TV. And I'm excited to talk about it. Cool. How about yeah. you, David? You're, you're fired up. You, you're, you're in your N1 and ready to hit that little button. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> to yeah. shoot us yeah. off. Yeah, you know, I'm not a Star Wars expert, but I think right. I'm, a, I'm a dabbler in the art of Star Wars. I think nice. I, can, I can point out 
some fun facts as we go through. In fact, this episode, there was stuff that made me go, whoa, whoa, what? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think that's the the sweet spot for our podcast is like, we're not the super esoteric people out there. There's some great podcasts out there that get into all of the really deep lore and, and meanings and stuff. We're, we're enthusiasts. We're super, we're, we're happy fans watching the show. Yeah. I go back to 77 when I saw um, A New Hope in the theater with my family. And I remember walking out of the theater just going like what my little, you know, whatever year old brain it was, was just like WTF was that. <laughs> that was amazing. And, and then some guy, like it was a packed theater and we were all sort of thronging out. And then some guy, I, he, he might have been, bef- I don't know if he was in front of us or behind us, did a Wookiee roar. And we were oh. all like, whoa, and the whole crowd like went crazy. <laughs> and yeah, it was like really loud and it was, it was awesome. And then it was, uh, back home, we were traveling when that when we saw it in the theater first, and then we were back home, and it was lines around the block, and it was action figures, and it was comic books, and it was the the whole deal. And then we had to wait uh, for Empire, um, and then uh, Return of the Jedi, and so those are my core movies. Nostalgia. I was always very my affinity was for Han Solo, not Luke Skywalker. You know that kind of uh, roguish vibe, scoundrel. And then that was pretty much it for me. I never went deep into the comics. I never went deep into the uh, literature that's out there because that was pretty prolific. And then the prequels came out, and I won't talk about those because I don't want to offend you. (laughs) (laughs) And then the postwools came out, and I had a lot of fun. Yeah, really enjoyed Force Awakens as a a fun reboot, you know, uh, nostalgia fest kind of thing, new characters, whatever. And then the next two movies just sucked. Um, for various reasons. Um, so that's my Star Wars history. I've, I've, I've caught up on the Bad Batch. I've dabbled in Clone Wars and Rebels, but I've had a real hard time getting into them. Um, and then I'm, I think, going to be using some of those uh, cheat sheets, you know, to get to the good stuff uh, through mm. them. But uh, yeah, I've done, I enjoyed Mandalorian when it came out. Book of Boba Fett suffered through it. <laughs> but... <laughs> Still, you know, overall enjoyed it. So, and I'm really excited uh, actually for this season. I think it's going to be a fun romp. Andor, of course, was like next level. And I think you said this earlier, maybe you pointed it out on a tweet that Star Wars now can exist in multiple spaces. Yeah. Right? So we've got that real dark, serious um, storyline that we're getting from Andor. And then we're having the fun live action romp that we're getting in Mando. And then we have the animated series, which has a lot of deep story, but yet is this, I don't know, I don't know how to characterize the animated stuff, but it's existing in multiple spaces. And I think that's awesome because that's going to open up the space for the fandom and for us to find different things that we can hold on to and enjoy in this world because it's such a rich world and it's such a, a, a fascinating world. It's huge. I agree with that completely. I mean, I guess because I tweeted it already, I do. (laughs) Well, that's good. I think that that's sort of, and I guess I'll transition us to what we're thinking about this first episode a little bit because it's it's tied in here. Yeah. I I feel like when I woke up today, Uh because I have a newborn and he woke me up at 6 Mm a.m., and I was like, well, I got to feed him anyway. I'll just put on The Mandalorian before work and I'll I'll just check it out. When I first turned it on, I was curious, but then I started to get annoyed halfway through that oh, no. big fight. Okay. Because I was like, 
You mean the uh, alligator fight? It's just, yeah, the alligator okay. fight. Because I was like, oh, it's just, you know, fan service action. There's nothing deep going on. There's no character moments. And then I said, hold on. Mm-hmm. Let me take a step back. Mm-hmm. Pretend it's Saturday morning and I'm in my pajamas and I'm nice. not cranky because I got woken up early. <laughs> And just try to enjoy this as a Saturday morning cartoon in okay. live action. Right. And then I, I just was having a great time the whole mm-hmm. time. Once I let go of needing everything to be a big character moment or deep writing, I was like, wow, that was a fun fight. That was a cool line. That was just a, a fun little fan service moment. That was a cool pickup. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I had a great time. I really did by the end of the episode. I, I watched it again of my own free will. I wasn't doing the outline for this one, so I didn't really need to, but... Yeah, it was that good. I just watched it again before work. That's great. That's um, I I felt like this episode was packed when I was doing the outline. I was like, wow, there's this whole man, you know, Mandalorian stuff. There's all the Navarro stuff. There's all the pirate stuff. There's all the Bo-Katan stuff. Like it was a really oh the IG uh, eleven stuff. Like it was a packed episode. And I felt that it worked pretty efficiently. I know some people uh, on our Discord were uh, Discord were chit chatting today about like, hmm, they're not sure if they like it or not, and we've got some feedback from that. Um, and I, I know for some people it didn't hook up, like the box cars didn't quite hook up. And I can get that. And I think like you, I let myself just go for the ride. Um, and you bathed it, in the living waters. I of did. Mandalore. I was like a little creature up in the little bubble there, um, you know, going through hyperspace. I think it did a lot to set up the season. We've got a lot of, you know, we've got stakes, we've got big bads. I thought there was some good emotional punch in here. The whole scenes with Bo-Katan and the armorer, this like moody character stuff, that was a lot of fun. It felt like it had the action to keep some younger viewers engaged but also some more serious story to keep uh, us older viewers engaged. Um, thankfully, thankfully, they are not rehashing all the seven, 1977 sound effects and, and story beats. Um, that's one of the things that drives me crazy in the, in the animated, using you know, uh, specific plot points or, or uh, sound effects that are taken right out of the original movie. In this, hey man, they were- we got a budget. We got a budget to stick to. That's right. We are not going over that shit, and we are getting through these arcs. <laughs> it, like in uh, Grief Karga's protocol droid, right? Like, he's a C-3PO-looking dude, but, but they changed his face, right? It's like, oh, okay, cool, and they changed the voice. Like, that, that kind of stuff made me happy. Like, good, you, we're staying in the world, we're staying rooted in the world, but you're not just retreading the same old tires over and over again. Yeah, I think that they're doing a better job of that in the in the current yes. animated series in the Bad Batch because I, yes. I, I do think that they're taking the TV stuff more seriously than they have in the past. Right, agreed. Uh, I, I, it's there's a they're carrying the banner right now for the Star Wars franchise until Andor comes back. So I thought too, visually it was really pretty. Practical sets. We're back on practical sets. Um, yeah. They, there's like stuff like reflections, like when Grogu was in his little bubble, you could see the hyperspace reflected in the glass. They did a nice job of blending the CGI and the practical. I'm sure there's some volume stuff in here, but it was really hard for me to tell. I felt like, wow, we're in a much more immersive world. And that all of that visual production made me very happy. I bet you part of it is they couldn't get the CGI people fast enough. <laughs> and they said, <laughs> exactly. we need to just figure out how to do this without them in every Practical single effects. scene. Yeah, because shooting in the volume, that big round soundstage they have is like a, apparently a really complex thing. You have to 
do all your post-production first and to, before you do the live action. And uh, it's, yeah, it's a really complex process. So um, that said, anything more on the sort of meta hot big takes? I'm having a lot of fun. I think we're expanding the Filoniverse and calling back to the animated stuff, which we'll get to throughout. And uh, yeah, let's get into it. Okay. Oh, and by, we should say that um, past coverage on our, we have a new Star Wars feed. So you may be hearing this on our, our main feed, which is cool. And we've got a Star Wars only feed. And that's where we've got our Bad Batch stuff, our Andor stuff. And going forward, we're just going to put all of our Star Wars here. It'll be in both places. But if you're just a Star Wars person and you don't want to listen to any of our other coverage or you, know, have our, have, you don't want to cross the feeds, check out our Star Wars feed. Just search for the Lorehounds uh, Star Wars and you'll find it. So, uh, 35-minute episode, so it's nice and tight, and um, I noticed that there's some new figures in the opening for the Lucasfilms animation. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah, so I uh, kind of did a freeze frame, I went through it, so it starts off with Darth Vader, then R2-D2, then I think it's Fennec Shand, then a Starfighter pilot, then I think it's Bo-Katan, it's definitely a, a Mandalorian, and I think it was mm, Bo-Katan. My favorite. IG-11 a scout trooper, the armorer, and then I believe it's Mando. So if I got anything wrong on that, write in, let me know. But I, I think I did a, a good job on that. And then I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole about what, a, what an apostate is. I mean, I kind of knew what it was, but I had to get into the definitions. Okay. Because I wasn't sure if apostate or blasphemer or heretic was the correct term for this. So an apostate is somebody who... who um, who renounces their deeply held beliefs. And she calls mm -hmm. him a, an apostate because he took off his helmet. Well, you could say, you know, was it an accident or is he... Bo-Katan would be a heretic. She doesn't believe what the armorer believes. So according, from the point of view of the armorer, Bo-Katan is a heretic. Right. Someone from outside the community exactly. disagreeing from within, whereas the apostate is someone within the community. Uh, correct. And a blasphemer is somebody who is like taking the Lord's name in vain or cursing the values or the uh, beliefs of the, the, the uh, value set of that religion or whatever. So I wasn't sure he was an apostate because he took off his helmet, but he violated the creed of his own free will. Whether good meaning or not, it doesn't matter. He's an apostate. He broke the vows. He broke the, the value set. So it is the, it is the correct uh, term. Anyway, that's what apostate means. So um, we cold open with a scene in a cave of the armor forging a new helmet. John, what did you think about this? It was a cool set piece, right? It was, it was a fun way to set the stage. Mm -hmm. Did you know what was going on? Uh, I, I, I mean, by the end, I figured out sure, it was a yeah. helmet, but it, it took me a while to figure it out. Right. And the last time we had seen the armor was in, um, in the book of uh, Boba Fett. Uh, that's the last time we saw the armor. Yeah. It, we, you know, something that we should talk about here, I think, is this is the first time people are hearing about this I'm an apostate plot and the, and the Mando uh -huh, reuniting right? with Grogu plot. Right. If you have not watched Book of Boba Fett. Right. They did not do a good job explaining that. Like, oh, they did, did an okay job with the apostate part. Uh-huh. But as far as Mando and Grogu, they just show up, and they never <laughs> explain that. No, they don't. I don't know. I, I saw Alan Seppenwall being really cranky about it. I'm not as cranky as he is about it, but right. I do think that they could have done a better job in the last time on, or, or just having a line here and there like, hey, remember when you left Luke and you decided to come with me? Right, exactly. 
Um, I loved the Beskar Mythosaur up on the wall. That was such a, a cool little uh, bit piece. And then the camera work in this whole cave scene with the armor, was, I thought was really great. Very moody, really set a tone for her character and this whole Children of the Watch, their sort of cult thing. And then, yeah, I was real head-scratching. I was like, wait, this is a cave? Like, wh- where is this? When is this? Yeah, I thought it was a flashback for sure. Yes. For the first, like, five minutes. Yeah, completely. Um, so then we head outside to an induction ceremony for a young one. Banners and crests and armor, oh my. Cool scene. I thought that was Din. I thought yep. that was Kid Din. I thought 100%. That, that, that was the armor, just putting him in. And I thought that the point of it was, well, she's the one who gave him the, the helmet. She's the one who gave him the oath. She's the one who saved him from this alligator creature. So that's why he's so loyal to her. Nope. Just complete nope. fake out. <laughs> totally. I think I've heard, uh, I was listening to a couple other uh, uh, quick reaction podcasts, and I think pretty, pretty much universally, everybody thought that this was a flashback. So good head fake uh, yeah. there, you know, Star Wars production team. That was fun. I thought that using the, the kid actor there was a really great way, a, a good vehicle for engaging younger viewers who might be watching. Because you could place yourself into that position of that young, whatever he is, 10, 11-year-old kid, if you're that age and watching this show. So there's something that, you know, you can identify with right away. And how stoked was that kid actor, right? To be getting a a Mandalorian helmet put on his head. Like, that's pretty awesome. This did two things for me. Mm -hmm. First of all, it made me realize this cult did not die out. When uh, it, it seemed like everybody died, right? Like, I thought that the last people were the armor, Din, and Paz Vizsla. Right. And then all of a sudden, they're like, no, nah, here we go. We got the we got the whole crew them. together. We're having a barbecue. I, uh, I need to, you know, in a couple of days, I, I want to go check out some YouTube videos to see some breakdowns of all the different armor and the crests and the banners that the, all the different Mandalorians. It was, I think this is the most Mandalorians we've seen. Maybe outside of Din's flashback when he's a foundling, right? When all the Mandalorians are dropping uh-huh. from the sky. But yeah, this is the first time we've seen so many Mandalorians up close and details of their armor and, and their weapons and all that kind of stuff. It was cool. I was really stoked. It was very cool. The other thing that it did for me was it showed me that this cult is growing, right? It's not uh-huh. just stagnant. Because I, I felt like in the first two seasons, it felt like a dying group of people that were just continuing some old way and existing until they die out as a people. And this showed me that yeah. they are actively recruiting. Right, right. That's fascinating. And Bo-Katan's forces have left her. Right. Oh, that's a great, that's a really great seesaw here moment between the two. I hadn't thought about that till now. Wow, that's really cool. This right? faction she's, is growing here. Yeah, she's up. Uh, the armorer is up. The children of the watch are up, and Bo Katan is down. We can agree that the armorer is eventually going to be a villain, right? Mm, she's got to be. I mean, you don't be. A, you're not a fanatic, uh, and you don't run. <laughs> and and things go easy. <laughs> things do not go yeah. easy when you're a fanatical like that. And if you watch the Clone Wars and Rebels, they do not shy away from making Mandalorians villains who are you know faction faction people, faction driven, right? Yeah, cool. All right, the ceremony is interrupted by an attack of a giant alligator turtle-like creature. The children of the Watch are getting their collective butts handed to them. 
and they're saved by Din, who arrives to save the day in his new N1 Starfighter. I laughed out loud here. (laughs) This was the moment where I was finally able to fully let go and say, this is a Saturday morning cartoon and I'm going to enjoy myself. Nice. Was when he rolls down the window Mm -hmm. and he he basically just head checks. I'm like, sup? And then, and then Grogu just pops out. I know. (laughs) Right. And that was like a, and if you have not seen Book of Boba Fett, uh, chapter five, this is a complete mind blowing moment for you. Like, what is this ship? And then Grogu pops up and, right? Like, completely mind-blowing. And just to remind everyone, if you have not watched episodes five through seven of Book of Boba Fett, which do contain a very important Mandalorian plotline, and you don't want to watch it or you don't have time, we did do a recap during our season preview of The Mandalorian. So head back uh, one episode on the Star Wars feed or a few episodes on our main feed if you want to listen to that. Right, for sure. Yeah, I really was questioning during the fight, I was really questioning, like, why the hell, you know, are these Mandalorians standing, trying to stand their ground? A- after a while, they can start I to agree. see that their numbers are getting, you know, they're, they're taking a lot of damage and, and people are going down. Fall back into the cave. Like, what are you, what are you doing? Um, it was a real head scratcher for in, until Din showed up. And then I was like, oh, okay, it's a set piece. You know, when they're trying to get into Moria and the sea monster comes out and, right. and Gandalf's helping them get away. He doesn't kill the monster. He just helps them get away. <laughs> right. Just close the door. Right. <laughs> get inside. It, so. it was silly. I agree. But again, yeah. let's let go mm. and let's enjoy it as a cartoon. And let's watch Mando and Grogu pull up like, want to go save the Dad world? Ass. Totally. <laughs> All right, Mando and the armorer talk, and she reiterates that he's no longer a Mandalorian. He presents her with an artifact from the planet Mandalore and says he will go there to bathe in the water of the mines of Mandalore to cleanse himself of his sins. And she replies, this is the way. I did love her delivery there when she just, she looks at Grogu very quickly. Mm -hmm. And then she turns back and goes, this is the way, you know, it, it was very like matter of fact. It was. I don't think I delivered it quite the same way because it was, it was like, it was like a sh- shoulder shrug. It's like, okay, yeah. this is the way. I think part of her is like, well, it's destroyed. He's not going to be able to do it anyway. Sure. That's the way. Yep. Um, did you notice Grogu wearing his chain mail? He's got it. He's got to yeah. wear it. He's a foundling now. Yep. The whole time, Terrible. I think Mando is treating him more like a Mandalorian foundling than he ever has. Mm-hmm. So that's been interesting to watch. Uh, you know, I just love Din interacting with the armorer because he's such a different person than he is with anybody else. He totally. loses his cool, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's suddenly very vulnerable. Very, and very subservient, right? Yeah. Yeah. He sounds like he's begging when he's like, mm-hmm. oh, but if I, if I get the, mm-hmm. the living waters, if I get the proof of it, you'll let me in, right? Yeah. And he's seeking her approval and, and hoping for encouragement from her. And the body acting is just great because, right, they can't emote with their faces. So they've got to use their shoulders and their, you know, orientation to each other and little head nods and stuff. So the body actors in this are really doing a good job. Yeah. All right. Grogu and Mando travel through hyperspace and Grogu sees several whale-like creatures keeping pace with them in the hyperspace slipstream. This makes Grogu nervous. At least that's what I interpret it. And he moves from his dome into the cockpit to sit with Mando, which also establishes the mechanism for the internal movement so that Grogu can, you know, move within the ship like that. 
I'm glad they did that because that was something I had a question about in Book of Boba Fett when they got okay. the ship. Right. Because it seemed like he was very sequestered there. Yeah. And it was like, well, what are you going to do for a whole flight? And you're back there. And, you know, yeah. You need cuddles. He wanted snuggles. Yeah. Um, all right. So this is a really important reveal. And it feels like it's got hooks into Rebels and Thrawn and Ahsoka. So, John, talk to us about Purgles. Purgles? Right. Purgles. Purgles. If you're very sensitive to Rebels spoilers the whole series, then fast forward a few minutes, but there's your warning. The Purgle are those whale-like creatures, and they are creatures who can naturally travel through hyperspace. And they are also very destructive. If they go onto your ship, they will absolutely decimate it. They will just destroy it. Are they, if, are they doing that out of malice and spite, or just because they're huge sperm whale-like creatures? Oh, just because they're brushing up against you. Okay, got it. Yeah, they're not evil, for sure. Okay. So if you're cruising along on, on your little uh, speedboat runabout, and you bump into a sperm whale, yeah, you know, or a sperm whale bumps into you, it's going to cause some damage. Exactly. And so there's an arc in Rebels where they show up and... Hera, who's the captain of the ship, is very concerned because she's seen ships destroyed by this. But Ezra, who has this ability where he can connect with animals really well, he connects with them and is like, they want us to follow them. Like, we should follow them and, and fly with them rather than against them. Mm -hmm. They end up helping the Purgle and sort of making friends with them and everything's fine. And then in the finale of Rebels, Ezra calls on the Purgle again and he sort of gets them to hook onto Thrawn's ship with him and Thrawn in there, Ezra and Thrawn, and they blast them off to who knows where, to like outer, outer, outer space, outside of the galaxy. Whoa, okay. And that is where we left Ezra and Thrawn at the end of Rebels. And that seems to be the thread that they're picking up on in Ahsoka. Right, and that's a major cliffhanger, and I, I don't think there's any hard evidence out there about like what might be coming next in that storyline, is that correct? Right, yeah, no, they, they say, I think in the epilogue of Rebels, that Sabine and uh, Ahsoka were looking for Ezra, but right. they have not shown how that was happening. And so the speculation now is the Ahsoka storyline is going to be um, connected to this, to Grand Admiral Thrawn, and if you're not a, a big uh, Star Wars lore person, if you've ever seen a picture of Th Thrawn, you'd know him. I, I forget the name, the race that Thrawn is. Um, but he's humanoid, has blue skin, red eyes, wears a white uniform. He's a very powerful and successful uh, admiral in the Empire. And he's a huge fan favorite uh, for a, a lot of people think, especially, I believe, in the books. Yeah. Uh, there's a, a lot the, of books. The Legends books is right. the ones that people really love, and they're not canon anymore. But there are six canon books. I mean, there might be more, but there's definitely six like main books. Uh, that follow his journey through the Clone Wars and then also through the uh, the Imperial period. I believe uh, his race is called the the Chiss. Yes, I think that's right. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I, it just feels like um, this is in what was it? The oh, I forget what the episode was with Ahsoka in season two of The Mandalorian. She asks uh, at the end, "Where is Grand Admiral Thrawn?" Right. So that was our first sort of indication that they're going there with this. And this is definitely a second, I think, indication at minimum for uh, that they're going, pointing towards this storyline with Ezra, Thrawn, Purgles, the whole deal. 
And we know that they have cast Ezra and Sabine, who are oh, you know, right. two members of that crew, for the Ahsoka series. We right. don't know if they're going to show up in Mando. I don't think so, but it could be. I, I, I would like to see Sabine in the Mando plotline because she's a Mandalorian and she once had the Darksaber. It would be mm-hmm. cool to have her discuss that with Din or maybe train him how to use it or something like that. I think we need one more, one at minimum, one more hook this season for that storyline. I don't yeah. need, I don't know that I would need a full appearance by somebody, you know, maybe Sabine because uh, of her positioning, right? She's not a, a star player. She's an important player, but she's not like a, a central focus player. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't need a central focus player. I think a hook of some kind will be nice to, to set up. And I don't want them to go the full MCU route where like a whole quarter of the movie is just dedicated to seeding the next coming set of Avengers. Like, you know, but tease it, you know, definitely tease it. You know, give me indications and give me hints. Give me a taste of Sabine. She also trained with Kanan, the Jedi, on how uh-huh. to use the Darksaber. Okay. So that would be actually a really good opportunity for, for Mando to get some training. That would be very cool. That would be very cool. All right, John, um, let's take a quick break. And then when we come back, we'll join the Mandalorian and Grogu back on the planet Navarro. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. And we're back. So Grogu and Mando arrive back in Navarro and they land at the spaceport. We see that the town has grown and prospered since Mando was here last. They walk through the Ren Fair Festival, I mean, town marketplace, <laughs> and pass a statue of IG 11 and are met by Magistrate Karga. Hi, Magistrate oh. Karga. I don't want to do dirty to the High Magistrate. He is a, uh, he's, he's a very successful man here. I know, right? Big turnaround from season huge, one. Huge, huge. I mean, this town is looking nice. Yeah. Have you looked into the timeline thing that John Favreau is suddenly spreading around? No, I have not. Ugh, you're lucky. But now I'm going to make you unlucky and tell you. So John Favreau, out of nowhere, yesterday, I uh-huh. think it was, said, hey, so actually, seasons one and two took place over... A number of years and man and grogu was actually with luke for about two years before what? he went back to mando yeah yeah out of nowhere he says this okay and then somebody asked him to clarify at the mando premiere and he's like yeah he was probably with luke anywhere from zero to two years but <laughs> wow okay <laughs> well i guess that given how you know given the town i mean it's a rapid development there but there's some time does need to pass for Navarro to uh, improve to the yeah. degree it was. So I guess that maybe he was he was getting nervous and thinking, oh gosh, you know, maybe I need to preface that a little bit because you know um, we suddenly are. It is a jump for Navarro. 
Well, tell me that in the show, though. Don't right. make me rely on your interviews. That See, you didn't even know about it, and you're covering the show. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, Karga could have said to, to Mando, oh, it's been two years since we saw you last. Where have you been? Or, yeah, something like that. Easy. Right. Easy. Yeah. So, lots of fun little Easter eggs in the town walking scene. Um, and, uh, yeah, it looks like a nice place to live now. It does look like a nice place to live. Really, Mando should have taken that offer to live yeah. here because it seems like a good opportunity for him. Just, you know, take off your mask, wipe your brow off, and uh, <laughs> take a have a cocktail. Right. Um, I, you know, at least take the option on the land. You know, you don't have to build right away, but at least, you know, sign the, sign the lease, right? Sign the deed so that you've always got a place to come back to. I mean, the kid might need a place to come back to eventually, right? Yeah, you know, place a, a, a place to park your starfighter, and you know, store your uh, carbonite. You know, uh, all the <laughs> the people that you've carbonite froze. It's true. You get a carbonite rack. It's like a wine rack, but exactly. a little bigger. Nice. <laughs> um, did you uh, scope Grogu's new little travel pod? I did not. You know, I didn't notice that. Yeah, it's uh, it's looking like it's ready for some action. I think uh, they okay. didn't flash anything, but I was just noticing like it's new. Uh, it looks uh, pretty well engineered. Looked like there was a flashlight on the front of it. So I bet we're going to see that thing um, show what it's got later in the season. It's a power bassinet, really. Totally. Totally. Uh, I would love to get one at Bye Bye Baby. Uh, but I'm not having any kids anytime soon. So uh, up in Karga's office, Karga tries to convince Mano to stay as they are now a trade spur of the Hydean Way. Using his force powers, Grogu plays in a swivel chair and levitates treats from Karga's desk. They're interrupted by Karga's protocol droid regarding a disturbance in the plaza. Yeah. It was, you know, it was just a fun little setup scene. We already talked about the, the offer to stay, stay and be the marshal mm-hmm. and things like that. And again, he should have taken it, I think. A, a, a lot of good exposition and setup here. Efficient uh, and not... I, I didn't feel out of place for a conversation that they should be having, so... Right. A lot of fun things like Grogu playing with the, with the food and all that, so... Yeah, not much to say about this. I love that. And if you listen, you can actually hear kind of a forced whoosh every time Grogu sort of waves his hands to sort of push himself uh, off, the, off the imaginary force wall to spin him around. Uh, I have a spinny chair... And uh, our daughter loves to come down to my office and spin in it. So like, I was totally like <laughs> vibing on that. And then our cat loves to sit in our chair, too. And if I spin her around in it, she loves it. She like sits there and looks at me and is like, oh, wow. Uh-huh. So yeah, spinning chairs are, are um, worth their weight. Yeah. Down on the street, a group of Pirate King Gorian Shard's pirate crew demand entrance to what used to be a bar and is now a school. Karga tries to mollify Vane and his crew by inviting him back to his office for a drink, but things get tense. Karga wings Vane, and then Mando guns down the rest of the pirates. Did you know about this Easter egg? Do you, do you know what this is referencing? No, not at all. All right, so there's a fan-favorite character who's basically Space Jack Sparrow named Hondo I was going to say. Mm-hmm, I was going to say later when we get to see the Pirate King, uh, I was totally getting Pirates of Caribbean vibes. Yeah, well, he's the same species as Vane. Okay. And so it was a big fake out because I oh. saw this character and I was like, Hondo's here. I was so excited. Okay. He's a fan favorite from the animated series. He's in Got Clone it. Wars and he's in Rebels. He's insane. He's just, he's, he's a lot more lovable in Rebels. He's, he's a little chaotic 
evil in, <laughs> in okay. Clone Wars. Uh, but he, he basically just is like very happy-go-lucky, like, oh, we're doing a scam. And, and uh, it's funny, like one time Ezra scams him. Because he needs to get what he what he got back, what 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 uh, Hondo stole back, and Hondo uh-huh. goes, "I have never been more betrayed and proud." <laughs> nice, so good this character, and right. and I hope that this is leading to him coming in because they're the same species, and and his pirates, Hondo's pirates, were all I think mostly at least of that species. So okay, we'll see if they bring him in. At least they are giving us the same vibe here. Got it. And this is uh, very much a uh, back to the roots of the Mandalorian gunfighter, you know, high noon, you know, in the street type of stuff. So uh, it was nice to see it. It was a nice little punctuation of action. Obviously, it sets up a whole bunch of other stuff to come later. But um, yeah, it was very much like, uh, you know, showdown with the Marshall kind of thing. And it also sets up for the Marshall stuff, too. Yeah. Yeah, I I enjoyed the little, you know, boom, 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 boom right. that Mando did. Yeah. A lot of fun. Yeah. A lot of fun. Karga implores Mando to become the town marshal, and we learn that Moff Gideon was taken by the New Republic for trial, and that Cara Dune was recruited by the Special Forces. They had to write her out somehow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought it was an, uh, elegant. I thought it was fine. I think it yeah. did good. I'll be and honest. She was fun, I guess, as a character, but she didn't really add a ton to it. And when mm-hmm. you have, you, you have so many warrior types around anyway, I don't mm-hmm. think you really needed one more. So, right, fine, goodbye. <laughs> yeah. So I remember the first time I saw Gina Carano, and it was a mo- in a movie, uh, 2011 movie called Haywire, and it's a really good action spy thriller movie, and she was excellent in that and i thought she really did a great job and i was like super excited for her career yeah and then in the in the uh, mandalorian series i just don't know i don't know if they gave her enough to to work with i mean regardless of any other outside issues inside issues after that first episode i I just didn't feel like she had a lot of grounding for her character yeah they really didn't develop her right no well she's not getting developed now (laughs) no it was very one-dimensional character even though it was interesting to see a rebel drop trooper, like that's a whole class of individual that we have not seen in the Star Wars war- universe yet. Yeah. All right. Karga asks Mando what he needs, and Mando explains that he wants to rebuild IG 11 to help him explore Mandalore. Mando tries his best, and once IG 11 has power, it reverts to its old programming and tries to kill Grogu. Now that's using your head. <laughs> that was silly. <laughs> It was terribly silly. <laughs> Excuse me while I die coughing on the microphone here. How silly it was. Yeah, and uh, I, I, I will say uh, Carl Weathers did a great job sort of portraying the soft disappointment and, and mm-hmm. hurtness <laughs> right. that he felt when, when he goes, oh, I didn't realize you were here on business. Right. Mm. What can we do for you? Like he suddenly just puts on his business voice. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a different demeanor, right? Yeah, it is. He does a good job here. I I'm I really am liking Carl Weathers uh, in as a recurring character, and I, I think he's doing a great job with this character. Uh, with, yeah, with uh, high high magistrate Karga, um, and I think he's scheduled to have di- uh, directed at least one of the episodes this season. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, good so for I'm him. Looking forward to seeing him. That I have to say, just just a quick tangent on uh, directors. Um, looking back at uh, seasons one and two, 
Some of my favorite episodes were Bryce Dallas, uh, Bryce Dallas Howard episode directed episodes. I'm really starting to get impressed by her directing chops. Uh, at first, I was like, uh, you know, I'm not so sure. But I think she's really developing, and I think she's really got a talent for it. So I'm also looking to, to see more from her. I'm always skeptical when an actor goes to directing for the first time, but mm-hmm. they often do a very good job. Yeah, a lot of them can. Um, this IG-11 scene, too, was very Terminator. Yes. You know, so e- even funnier that, um, uh, well, you know, it wasn't Terminator, but it was uh, uh, Predator that um, um, Schwarzenegger and Carl Weathers were in together. Uh, but, you know, anyway, it just felt very 80s action vibe for sure. Yeah, definitely. Karga introduces Mando to the Anzellans, who are experts with droids. They tell Mando they can't fix IG-11 without the parts. Uh, and Mando says he'll get the memory circuits. Grogu tries to make friends. That truly is what it's like to live with a toddler. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He's young. Right. Yeah. You're like constantly cleaning up and fixing things after the fact. The best part of this scene was Carl Weathers not translating when the <laughs> Enzelin is speaking in Hutties. Right. And then the minute he switches to... I guess basic speed. What is it? What do they call it in Star Wars? It's not English. It's like it's common or basic or something. I think it's anyway, basic, isn't it? That's probably right. We're going to get in right. trouble. Well, write in if you really want. I could yeah. use the feedback. Anyway, the minute he switches to this normal, understandable speech that Mando can understand, <laughs> he just keeps translating, and Mando's like, I know. Yes, I got it. <laughs> it really was a good. Uh, slapstick comedy routine, and it was, and and Carl Weathers played it full, right? He did not hold back on it, and uh, with Mando sitting cross-legged underneath the inside there, it was it was a really nice moment of levity given some of the darker and more violent scenes in this episode because there's some you know raw violence going on here. Yeah, it was uh, it was good. I enjoyed it. So the Anzellans are, their first appearance was in Rise of Skywalker, and I think Babu Frick was the, the main character that we met um, of this, like, diminutive engineering uh, race. Um, well, I don't remember that, because I watched that movie exactly once. Okay, fair enough. Well, Grogu certainly seemed to take a shine to them. Yeah, he would like to keep them as a pet, which is <laughs> wildly offensive to them, obviously. Uh, cute though like okay i mean grogu i mean come on how are they hitting the cuteness factor so well every time grogu coos or makes a little thing a little sound or does something cute it's not corny or it's not too dorky or corny it's it's actually quite cute and lovable and i can't believe that they're so successfully uh hitting that mark every single time well, I mean, it's even cute when he's jeopardizing the existence of a species by eating all their eggs. <laughs> That's true. It is. It's extraordinarily cute. Mando and Grogu leave Navarro, and Mando begins to teach Grogu about piling the universe. They are ambushed by Vane in the asteroid belt. Mando takes out five of the pirate ships, but Vane leads Mando into a trap. They're confronted by Pirate King Gorian Shard's ship, but Mando uses his turbo drive to get away after a brief interaction. Kid, never trust a pirate. That almost feels to me like it's a little bit of a dig at Obi-Wan Kenobi. Because there's a plot line with Hondo in the Clone Wars Mm -hmm. where Hondo kidnaps Dooku. Mm -hmm. 
and then he calls the Jedi and says, hey, come pick him up. And mm-hmm. then Obi-Wan and Anakin go. And then he's like, oh, great, you're here. I have three people to ransom now. Oh, <laughs> funny. <laughs> Never trust a pirate. Yeah, yeah. So we meet our new intermediate antagonist. Do you know anything about uh, this pirate and or his, his race? No, I don't. I mean, okay. he might be completely new. He might be in something else. So if you recognize him, write in. Yeah, I did a little bit of Google searches, but I, I couldn't find anything definitive. Uh, but he was totally giving me Jeffrey Rush, Hector Barboza vibes from Pirate of Caribbean, like completely. Yeah, yeah, so definitely. We had Terminator, we had uh, sort of gunslinger vibes, Terminator vibes. We got Pirates of Caribbean vibes. Oh, and I was going to say the Anzellans reminded me a lot of the uh, Anilid worms in Men in Black. So there's like, I don't know if they're doing this a lot intentionally, but there just feels like there's a lot of cultural touchstones in so many different scenes here. Definitely. I agree. Mando and Grogu continue to the planet Kalevala in the Mandalore system and the homeworld of House Kreez. There, they meet with Bo-Katan, who is bereft of her forces. Mando says that he's come to join her, but she explains that without the Darksaber, her forces left her and they all operate as mercenaries now. She pillories Mando's cult, and he tells her that he plans to bathe in the living waters so that he can be forgiven for his transgressions. She calls him a fool and debunks his beliefs, but gives him the information he needs. You said that the curse was a lie. Make up your mind. Goodbye, Din Djarin. David, I have a surprise for you. Okay. <laughs> uh, nervously biting my fingernails here. What is it? I've sent you an audio file, which I will add to this podcast as you listen okay. to it. All right. I need you to click on it, listen to it, and tell me what you think. Okay. Clicking the link now. It's opening and hitting play. Bo-Katan is full of shit, <laughs> just like Luke and all the Sith. Mandalore is not a wasteland. Take me on hyperspace roads. Oh, Nice. Oh, it's bravo. Bravo. Thank you. I spent a full hour on that. Oh, my goodness. That is inspired. Take me home, country road, to the place where I was born. That is inspired. John Denver, you're speaking to my childhood, my man. Mm, Well, That is really good. It was a good excuse to say (laughs) Bo-Katan is full of shit. I'm really impressed. Uh, you were, uh, yeah, I had no idea what to expect. Uh, I hope everybody gets a kick out of this because this, uh, this is gold. This is comedy gold. I told David I needed another five, ten minutes to start our recording <laughs> because I needed to finish up a surprise. Was it worth it, David? It was, absolutely. It was worth your hour uh, of uh, sweat and tears to make this. Very good. I'll add this to the Patreon uh, theme song list, too, after, okay. after this comes out because I want the first experience to be in context. Nice. Uh, yeah, yeah, you should... Um, well, are you going to cut it into the audio? Yeah, it's going to okay. be in this podcast. Perfect. I love it. That is so good. Awesome. Thank you, John. I appreciate that. All right. Um, I was getting Dragonstone vibes also from this castle. Yeah, definitely. And was she just waiting there like that? Yeah. Was she just waiting there, <laughs> just laying there, just doing nothing, just, just very like, oh, Din, you've come oh. to see me. Oh. Yes, I, this is all I do now. I don't have the dark saber, so I just sit and brood. Uh, <laughs> I love Katie Sackhoff. 
she is nailing the Bo-Katan, the Bo-Katan role. I, I really love what she's doing here. The actor is great. The character, <laughs> full of shit. <laughs> full of shit. She's so, ooh, just like, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, the entitlement, right? You know, she's, she has such a sense of entitlement. And it's just been ripped away from her, and she's so bitter about it. And that last line, goodbye, Din Djarin, I'm like, I don't know what to make of that. I don't know if she's going to actively thwart him or what, but like, it was not, it, uh, there's something coming. There's, there's going to be some action here, I think. <sighs> it's time for my rent. I can't just leave it to song. Bo-Katan okay. <laughs> is giving Din crap for being in a cult because it's splintered Mandalore. You literally led, as second in command, a mercenary terrorist cult called Death Watch that led to your sister's death and led to anarchy on Mandalore and led to the fall of it under the rule of Darth Maul. And you're going to tell Din Djarin who's never caused a system to be destroyed, that he is in the wrong, that he's responsible for splintering? No. No, Bo-Katan. <laughs> you need to atone for your sins, and you have not. You have learned nothing. Good day, sir. You lose. I think it's great that they're giving us such a uh, charismatic character, but uh, one who is very flawed. And they are not papering over the flaws, but they're, putting, they're pushing those flaws front and center to cause dramatic tension in this world. I think it's brilliant. I, I really, really applaud the choices that they're making here. And I love that you're so wound up and that you've got to be in your helmet about this. It genuinely, like, irritates <laughs> me to my core when she tries to lecture him. Yeah. Because she's just so full of shit. Listen to the song again. Let's play it again. All right, here we go. Bo-Katan is full of shit. Just like Luke and all the Sith. Mandalore is not a wasteland. Take me on hyperspace roads. <laughs> so good. I stand by my words. Bo-Katan is full of shit. That's the end of my Bo-Katan rant for the week. Bravo. Bravo. Um, you know, and this is, again, where, you know, we've had a lot of, uh, we've had comedy, we've had action, we've had space battles, we've had gun battles, we had a little bit of horror with IG-11, and here we have this, uh, 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 you know, a, re a religious occult, you know, uh, um, struggle about, like, well, no, your cult was bad, no, my cult is good, your cult is bad. And then, of course, this infighting has brought down a whole world, right? So there's this whole political level here, and this whole value-belief system uh, thing going on. So I really enjoy that they're hitting these different levels in the show to appeal for different audiences and different hooks so that we've got some legs in the story. And it's not just a, gun, a simple gunfighter or a simple lone wolf and cub storyline. All right, I'm not done yet. I've just decided. You <laughs> literally lived on the same planet as you say that they ran off to. You lived on Concordia with Death Watch, right. Bo-Katan. And now you're like, oh, you guys fled. No, you know what? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> You're wound up. Um, I am wound up. Death Watch and Children of the Watch related? It's a debate. 
It's a okay. matter of debate. We okay. there's symbols that seem to suggest maybe they are connected, but again, there's a lot of political factions, right? They could have been right. sort of sister organizations, something splintered off. They could have mm-hmm. been, you know, one liked the ideology of Death Watch and started this. I don't know. I I don't think we have the answer yet. If I said the People's Front of Judea, would that mean anything to you? Yeah, the life of Brian. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, like factions, cults, splinter groups. It seems like this is the modern history of the Mandalorians, is that they haven't been able to get themselves together, and so they're, they're scattered. And they were together under Satine, mm-hmm. Bo-Katan's sister. Okay. So, Although they did banish a bunch of people to Concordia. But you know what? Leave the dissenters over there. They were fine. Okay. All right. So we've got some, we've got some stakes here. We've got some bigger political stakes here that's, um, that are at play for Din Djarin, since he now has the, the one saber uh, yeah. to, you know, to wield, to bind them all. Do you think he gets to, to save IG-11? Uh, well, yeah, they're going after the MacGuffin, right? I think, I think so. I think so. Um, How I think you feel it would about be fun. that, bringing him back after two seasons. Yeah, I would like it. Um, I enjoyed IG-11. Uh, I will say that. And I thought he's a badass mofo. And um, if he can get a memory circuit, I think IG-11 would be an excellent traveling companion in the uh, wastelands of, of Mandalore. All right. I'm, in, I'm with you. I think that'll okay. be fun. Anything else for the, for the uh, episode? No, thank you. Let's okay. move on. Let's get into some feedback. All right. You can, as we said at the top of the episode, uh, get us feedback in a couple of different ways. You could leave um, or you could have some conversations on the Discord server. Link in the show notes. I've already pulled some, uh, we've pulled some uh, feedback from the Discord server today. You could write into us. Star Wars at the lorehounds.com, or you could head over to our website, lorehounds.com, and go to the contact page. And you can either use the contact entry form there or leave us a nifty voicemail, and then we can play that on the next episode. So, first up, we've got Danny M. Loving all the pods, just happen to be looking for a refresh on the second age stuff ahead of the Rings of Power and found you guys at the beginning and have listened to you ever since. Well, thank you, Danny M. I'm glad you, thank you stuck around for the ride. Was super happy when you guys started doing Andor. So were we. Um, as Star Wars is my number one fandom and no one was talking about it, at least for the first few weeks. What a show. Yeah, it was really interesting. People were not talking about it and I'm really glad we jumped on it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was my favorite show of 2022, and I think it was yours too. It was. It was my my top show, and um, it was interesting because there was so much Star Wars fatigue and and sort of bad feelings that people were avoiding it. And um, I'm really glad it it picked itself up, or not picked itself up, but like people picked up on how good it was. Yeah. Anyway, Danny M continues. I was really thrown for a loop when you started talking about what to think about Boba Fett being alive as there has been virtually no amount of time where he actually died in the Sarlacc pit since Return of the Jedi. That is true, technically. I think it was actually in 1983 when a Marvel comic showed him escaping and he was a major character in the now Legends timeline for a good 40-plus years of canon. I guess they could have left him dead when they rebooted all the non-movie stuff, but it never once crossed my mind that they would. Not that anybody should know all this stuff, but I guess I've never considered that there, um, that there's probably a ton of people that just assume he died in Return of the Jedi, and that's wild to me. 
But after the Book of Boba Fett, probably the less we see him going forward, the better. <laughs> I have Boba fatigue for sure. I you mean, do? He, he had a major plot line in Clone Wars, too. Okay. He As a kid. Uh-huh. So, yeah, I don't know. I, was, I, I have Boba fatigue for sure. Okay. Well, yeah, certainly I didn't read the, the comic, so I, I wasn't tracking his, you know, status as alive or dead. And I think um, even in Return of the Jedi, they talk about the Sarlacc pet and, you know, how you, you're you going to be digested for a millennium and, and all that kind of stuff. So, um, but yeah, again, we, neither of us have gone into those deeper, farther reaches of comic books and, and literature uh, around that stuff. So, and I don't think that stuff's canon, right? So I think the, that, you know, there's, they've cut it, they've drawn a line there. Yeah, Legends is what they call the stuff that they've dismissed, basically. Right, right. All right, he concludes, I'm really hoping for more Mandalore background. Uh, I am with you there. And especially details about the Purge in Season 3. Also, if they can find a way to get more Ahsoka in there with, that, with it making sense, I'm all for that. Maybe introduce Sabine or Hera somehow. I guess I'm pumped for the eventual search for Ezra. It's been a while since Rebels ended. Anyway, keep up the good work. And heck yeah, Ted Lasso too. Thanks, Danny M. Um, John, uh, thoughts about Sabine and Hera? I mean, you've already talked about it a little bit. Ezra? I, I've said before, I, I can't wait for them to finally tie up this plot line and, mm-hmm. and make things go forward. Ezra was a really cool character by the end. He was very okay. annoying at the beginning of Rebels, but oh, he really does develop really well and, okay. and becomes a much more mature person in a very short amount of time. Uh, really interesting ability to sort of interface with animals we've seen grogu kind of do that too in book of mm-hmm. boba fett but yeah i mean i mean i really was a big fan of him sabine was a very cool character a very complex character who has a lot of rich history and and not great things in her past like making a a, a machine that would hurt mandalorian specifically <laughs> right and then sort of getting to shut that down i mean yeah it, again like she's a complex character these are complex characters that were set up in the uh, animated series and i can't wait to see them go forward that's what always trips me out about you 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 know i've bounced off most of the animated series except for bad batch but i've been watching the beginnings of clone wars or or rebels and and yet i you know didn't get into the deeper level storylines and then you talk to me about these storylines that are in there and i'm like scratching my head i'm like how did they do that with that animated series get so faceted and complex with motivations and uh interpersonal conflicts and you just keep extolling the virtues of it so i gotta i gotta go find those gems i gotta go find those gems rebels has the second best character development in all of star wars behind andor that's bizarre because when i watched the first few episodes of season one i just uh i'm flabbergasted <laughs> well you got a lot of runway then don't you yeah i do a lot there's a lot of a lot of room to go up from the bottom here exactly lorehound courtney g from austin texas writes in hey guys i rewatched mando before the new season started and i came across something in the episode sanctuary that got me thinking in that episode mando is explaining to the local lady that no one had seen his face since he was a child He was rescued by Mandalorians, became a foundling, and ever since has worn his helmet. He specifically says that he was a child the last time someone saw him. With Grogu, now a foundling, shouldn't he be expected to cover his head as well? I think we're all hoping that Mando leaves his cult-like group and becomes more mainstream, uh, a mainstream Mandalorian, but his current quest is to redeem himself. 
If he is so set on it, why wouldn't he try to get Grogu in the same good standing? Maybe there's an age where children, um, uh, where children Mandalorians are expected to wear the armor at all times. Obviously, no one wants Grogu covered. Absolutely not. Same with Pedro Pascal. But it's a mythology they seem to need to follow. Thoughts? I think you answered your own question, Courtney, which mm-hmm. is, I, I do think that there's a sort of bar mitzvah that you have for uh, the Mandalorians that we were seeing at the beginning of this episode. And you, you wrote this in before the episode, so maybe, maybe this uh, episode yes. helped you. Good point. Because this, this person seemed like a young teenager. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I guess that there's a certain amount of training or experiences that you have to go through, or maybe an age where you get the helmet on and you can't take it off. I mean, in many cultures and religions, there is a coming-of-age ceremony where you're baptized or, you know, yeah, bar or bat mitzvah or, you know, other, um, other types of ceremonies where you fully join the community. Uh, and I would assume that in the Mandalorian society, that would be the case. We just don't know how old Grogu is. So <laughs> um, his tiny little helmet with his tiny little ears sticking out of it, it would be pretty hilarious to see. <laughs> Yeah, that would be cool. Lorehound Dennis writes in on Discord, Hey, John, got to correct you a bit on the relationship between Obi-Wan and Satine in the Clone Wars. While it isn't explicitly stated, it is so heavily hinted that it's hard to deny they formed an attachment while they were on the run together for two years. This leads to the Corky question. What is the Corky question? I have no idea what that's referring to. It's, um, I, I think it's a teen's nephew. Okay. And uh, she's very into mentoring him, and he looks up to her a lot. And so the idea is he's actually the child of Satine and Obi-Wan Kenobi, but they hit it. Oh. Obi-Wan. But it's never busy. really confirmed. Like Dennis is saying, it's, it's, none of this is explicit. It's all okay. subtext. Got it. All right. It's all conspiracy theories. Thanks, Dennis. Um, we're going to move on to Darthur Evan on the Discord as well. I was chatting with him earlier today, and he said he thinks that this is one of the messiest episodes of television he's seen, and it's only 30 minutes or so so long. So I said messy good or messy bad, because messy could be good or bad, depending on, on your context here. Like, I watched Slow Horses on Apple TV. It was messy. But I loved it because it was just candy. It was just silly candy, right? So is it, is, it, is it a hot good mess or a hot bad mess? And he replied, I think it will depend on how the rest of the season turns out. Because if the rest of the season is great, then I'll take this as just having to shuffle some chairs around in order to get where they're going. If the rest of the season, uh, is, oh, if the rest of the season, sight unseen, uh, is bad and messy, uh, is bad, then it's messy, this episode meaning. So he's saying that um, it's sort of uh, dependent. If it's a good rest of the season, this was an okay episode, you know, good messy. If it's a bad rest of the season, then this was bad messy. He carries on, I think season two having to serve as a setup for a bunch of characters, some of whom will not show up in the show anymore because they're showing up in their own spinoffs, and some of who will not show up because the actor did something wrong, Cara Dune, um, has the show feeling a bit bare character-wise. And since they killed off two of the characters on Navarro who could recur in season one, they want to bring one back. On top of that, the first episode has to catch people up who did not watch the first spinoff of Book of Boba Fett and outright retread the conversations that were had in that show. All right, John, thoughts? 
on the last point, I don't think that we spent a lot of time retreading it. I actually thought we could have spent more time on yeah. at least the Grogu part. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I didn't feel like it was that messy. I thought it was actually a pretty clear, hey, here's the inciting incident, right? Here's the goal is I need to redeem myself by going to Mandalore. And then the rest of the episode is him taking some preliminary steps, right? Right. Yeah, I didn't. I just didn't feel like it was that messy. And, you know, without arguing people's subjective opinions, um, uh, I think your point, which is uh, relax, put on your pajamas, it's Saturday morning, and it's, it's a little bit goofy, it's a little bit fun, and go with it. And if they disappoint, they disappoint. And if not, then, you know, we've, we've had a good time. Exactly. Cool. You got to be able to let go. I think that's that's the key to David. Mm-hmm. That's what you need to do with Rebels and the Clone Wars. You got to <laughs> let go a little bit. They're going to reuse the laser sounds. It's going to happen. Oh, just crazy. have fun. Oh, anyway. All right. Anything else uh, we want to consider for feedback? I think we're good. I think that's good. You know, I, I think that this did a good job this episode of setting up. Like I said uh, in the in the season preview, this show does its best when it has an end point, right? When it has mm-hmm. a goal, which actually made me very nervous when I saw, I think it was John Favreau who said, yeah, we don't really have an end in sight for Mandalorian. We're just taking it as it goes. <laughs> I saw that. Uh, I saw the reaction to that before I saw the, the actual comment. And um, that was a, yeah, a little bit of a nail biter there. I was like, what are you saying? Why? We, do we really want that? Like, uh, yeah. Have, well, it's still it. good for now. So let's just have fun. Yeah, exactly. Let's, let's, not get too, uh, let's not get too hung up on it. But yeah, I mean, that, that, that's my point is, is Season one lacked a clear direction, and I think that showed. Season two had a clear direction, and I think that showed. And I think that this is the same thing as season two. We have a clear motive, and we're going for it, and I'm excited to see where we go. Awesome. All right, uh, let's talk about our patrons over on our Patreon site. All right, special thanks to our Lore Master patrons. We have three tiers, starting at $3 a month for ad-free and early access, but our Lore Masters are our highest tier at $10 a month. The tier that we put there, just in case somebody like really, really wanted to support us, we figured maybe one or two people, and now we have 13. And I don't know how we got here, but we did. And thank you all. Thank you so much. It's, it's insane. So here's our list. Samartian, Cyrus, Mark H., Peter O., Michelle E., Michael G., David W., Brian P., Nick W., S.C., Bettina W., Adam S., who was the newest lore master but has been replaced today, the day we're recording, by Nancy M. Several of these folks are also upgrades, and we appreciate that, too. It means we're doing something right, I guess. It's something. So, um, and we've said this before. Thank you. Again, your support goes to helping us actually produce this podcast justify it to our spouses. Um, And uh, yeah, every time somebody signs up, it gives us that little boost and that little motivation of like, hey, this is fun. And it it really adds to our experience to know that you guys are enjoying this as much as we are. Very nice to get that email at the end of a long day that, hey, somebody liked you enough to subscribe. So thank you very much. And speaking of people who like to uh, listen to our content, did you know that Canadians make up 4.66% of our listening audience? What are you talking about? <laughs> um, if you know what that sound is, write in. Um, I don't. <laughs> Bob and Doug McKenzie, they were a comedy duo uh, in the mid-80s. Uh, get lost, hoser. Take off, eh? 
Um, they were these two Canadian goofballs who uh, drank beer and, and had all kinds of silly adventures. And when we were middle school, we thought they were funny as shit. Um, Is but that anyway, a real show? Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they're a comedy duo, kind of like a Cheech and Chong, uh, but from the North. Hmm. I don't know. If you're from Canada, write in and give us the filmography of Bob and Doug McKenzie, because uh, okay. my memory is easy. But anyway, we're kind of starting to go through. We've got our new uh, publishing platform. We get some cool regional statistics about where people are listening to us. And so um, we're just sort of starting to go through the different, uh, in different episodes, just talk about the countries of where people are, are listening to us. So if you're a Canadian listener, like Nancy M., who is our newest lore master, um, drop us a note and uh, tell us how things are going on your end or give us a, a point of view from uh, how your fellow countrymen are enjoying the shows that we're covering. Or tell us your favorite Tim Hortons location. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, I'm Very done now. I'm sorry, stuff. Canadians. I might be going to Montreal uh, this summer. We might be doing a road trip up there. So you know, That's fun. Yeah. All right, programming notes. Next up for the Lorehounds. Uh, Maester Anthony is continuing with his... Well, and this is not the Lorehounds. I mean, we're, uh, it's Lorehounds related. Maester Anthony has invited us back to be on his Clash of Kings read-along. Um, we just did a chapter, uh, chapter 11 with a Theon. That was out, was that last week by now, or two weeks ago? When, I uh, think so, yeah. It's a blur. Go over to the um, Bald Move uh, Hot D feed and uh, subscribe to Clash of Kings. Uh, it's great if you're, if you're a Game of Thrones fan. And then we've been invited to be on his episode, another ep future episode, which I believe is going to drop in April sometime, and we're going to be reading an Arya chapter. Um, John, what do we have up next for the Lorehounds? Well, we've got The Last of Us Episode 7, which just dropped a couple days ago. Uh -huh. uh, that, that was a fun one. I think that, that was one of our longest podcasts <laughs> about a single episode ever. It was. I, I outlined that one, and I was like, all right, I outlined it in a way that it's going to move at a good pace. And nope, nope, we did two hours. So enjoy. I think it was a good conversation and a long conversation. So take a road trip, put us in the drive, and, and enjoy. I think it's my fault, because whenever they put out 80s music, I just have to talk about it. So I go down these rabbit holes. I forgive you. The Mandalorian is continuing every single week. It's coming out Wednesday on Disney+. Plus. So sometime after that, we are going to have our episode out doing our full recap, like you just heard. Ted Lasso Season 3 is coming out after March 15th. We're going to be covering that in some capacity. Uh, and Silmarillion Stories is out later this month. And also, if you need more reading, mm -hmm. the Book Nook series is coming very quickly. A Wizard of Earthsea with Marilyn R. Pukila by Ursula K. Le Guin. Everybody's got a middle initial. Maybe I should start using mine. My name yeah. is uh, uh, John Geronicus Lorehound. <laughs> if you want to name me for my middle name, uh, write in and I'll consider uh, submissions. We also have one more thing to talk about, which is we're starting a new gaming podcast with our friend Brandon the Bard, who is the host of Time to Explain a Destiny podcast, which you can find on podcast applications wherever you go. And um, we're going to be talking about The Last of Us Part 1 just after the uh, show ends, the season ends. And I think that's going to be a lot of fun and it's going to add a lot of context for people. Oh, I want to. Um, I'm looking forward to that. I'm I'm excited that Brandon's going to be uh, podcasting with us. Um, also, just throw into that ring really quick. MC Universe. Uh, Jean and I are working out our schedules. We were supposed to do an episode a couple of weeks back. 
to prep for Quantum Mania and to talk about some of the Phase 5 stuff coming up. We had an audio uh, problem that we didn't know about, and then we had scheduling issues. And I think we're going to get to record this weekend. And so uh, once we have that in the can and we know that there isn't any problems, we'll announce a uh, release date in an upcoming podcast. Sounds good. I'm looking forward to hearing that. All right, John. Well, thanks very much for coming along on this fun romp in the Star Wars universe. I'm super excited. I know you're excited. And I hope everybody out there who's listening is um, excited, too. I think it's going to be a fun season. I do, too. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. The Lorehounds podcast is produced and published by The Lorehounds. You can send questions and feedback and voicemails at thelorehounds.com slash contact. Get early and ad-free access to all Lorehounds podcasts at patreon.com slash thelorehounds. Any opinions stated are ours personally and do not reflect the opinion of or belong to any employers or other entities.